we shared on that. And this morning, I felt like it would be good because oftentimes when we go through the encounter weekend, we don't have time really to do the last lesson. And so I thought, well, if, uh, if God's preparing us to be encountered by the presence of God as a people, not just as an event through a weekend, then it would be good for us also to make sure we have all the process and all the understanding under our spiritual belt, so to speak, so that we can be successful in what it is God's trying to do as we encounter His presence. And so this morning, I'm going to share, and I, I know you'll laugh when you hear it, you won't believe me when I tell it, but I am going to take just a few moments and talk about walking out your freedom. Walking out your freedom. You know, most things in life that are of value to you, you have to maintain. Anything that you have in your house, in your garage, Anything at all, if it's of value to you, you need maintenance to take place on that thing. You have to do what we call, or I call, upkeep. Now, a new car, can you say that everybody would love a new car, right? I mean, if somebody gave you a new car, that'd be a real cool thing. So a new car is, is great. Everybody loves a new car. And you have that new car, and the new car smell. And it's great for a time. But we all realize that it will decay rapidly if you don't service it. You've got to take it in for oil changes. You've got to rotate the tires. You've got to flush out the systems from time to time. And I'm finding out that these things are not cheap. Oil chains are getting more and more expensive. And, and so what we do is, is that we run our tires until they're bald. Instead of changing our oil at 3,000 or 4,000 miles, we'll go 10,000 miles. Because we're trying to avoid the cost of upkeep. But the truth of the matter is, and any, any mechanic will tell you this, that the price you pay for maintenance will far, far be less than the price you will pay to try to recover if you haven't upkeep, upkept, Kept up. <laughs> Spirit of dyslexia. Come on. <laughs> Jesus. The point I'm making is what will cost you just a few dollars today could cost you thousands of dollars in a few months. First time you buy a house, it's the same thing. You gotta mow the lawn, you gotta power wash your house. You gotta bring someone in on occasion to work on your HVAC unit. You gotta paint the things that need painting on your house. If you don't do that, if you just let time erode it, it will eventually fall down. Even in our physical health, a surgery may fix the problem. But if you don't change your lifestyle, you may get five bypasses in the old ticker. But if you don't change the diet that made the thing clog up in the first place, you see, the surgery will only delay the inevitable. So, if you've experienced freedom, if you've experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've encountered His presence and He has brought transformation to your life, we rejoice with you. But if you don't maintain that, if you don't go through the upkeep, if you attempt to ride these next few days or weeks without getting service, 
You may get by for a while, just like the new car gets you by for a while. However, eventually, a lack of maintenance will catch up to you. And I can guarantee you 100% failure if you don't keep your spirit life service. Now, that's why we do this vision process here. That's the reason we have journey classes and discovery classes and school of leaders. We have encounter weekends. We have consecrate weekends. It isn't fancy. You know, you take your car in for an oil change. How many of you know it's not real fancy back in the back? I mean, it can be dirty and it can be uh, disheveled and it may not look like much. But if you don't get the car on the rack with the greasy mechanic underneath it, it won't run right. So oil changes may not be fancy or glitzy, but it keeps you running. We may not be fancy and glitzy here, but you come get your oil changed and we'll keep you running. We'll keep you running. Now, 1 John 3 and 8 says this. 1 John 3 and 8. It says, he who sins is of the devil. Oh, that's not good. This for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, though, John writes, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Everyone say with me, destroy the works. Now, the reason I had to repeat that is because once you got victory in Jesus Christ, you did not kill the devil. John says his works were destroyed. The devil keeps on walking about, the scripture says, like a roaring lion. You may destroy the works that have gone on from him in your life. We all say praise God. But just because you've got the works destroyed today does not mean that that enemy is not still walking about. Seeking whom he may devour. And the question is, will his works be established in you again. If you don't want that, then you're going to have to learn what it means to walk out your freedom. Freedom is not just an event, it is a walk. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, Jesus himself says the familiar words. He says, therefore, if the Son makes you free, literally, out of the Greek it means if the Son delivers you, you shall be free indeed, or you shall be out of that slavery. So Jesus says, if he comes and he delivers you, you're out of slavery. That's good news. In Galatians, Paul would, Paul would write to the Galatian church in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, interesting words, he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so we have to stand fast and we have to, he says... To be diligent not to get entangled again in the things that got us messed up in the first place. Now the question is, how do you stand fast? How do you, how do you maintain? How do you, how do you make sure you're being serviced in such a way that you will keep the freedom that the Lord has brought into your life? Well, truth is, there are decisions that you're going to have to make. In fact, your next decisions are not whether or not you're going to attend a dramatic, exciting event. In fact, we all can go to exciting Christian events. I'm all for them. Don't think I'm being down on exciting, big, large Christian events. They have their place in the work of the kingdom. 
But the key is you're going to have to decide also to do some ordinary, daily, weekly disciplines that will keep you spiritually healthy. So you aren't on mountaintops when the three, four, five events a year come along, either through the church or through the city. You just don't have those mountaintop moments every now and then over a weekend. And then the rest of life is lived in these deep, dark valleys. We've got to learn what it means to move from glory to glory. To step up a little bit higher on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We've got to stay spiritually healthy in between the events. And our problem as Christians is that we tend to live victoriously only from dramatic moment to dramatic moment. We've got to learn to live this thing out day by day by day. I'm grateful for your dramatic moment, but the Lord wants to keep you victorious tomorrow morning. And then Tuesday. Oh, and let's not forget Wednesday. And how about Thursday? Friday? It's the weekend. You can do it through the weekend. And you can do it all the time. So there are five places I'm just going to give you. I'm sure I could give you 50 and it would overwhelm you. But if you'll get started with these five places, I believe it's a place you can begin to stand fast in the freedom that you've been given. I, can I just, I'll be so bold to say this, that if you'll get these five things down, I'll just go out on a limb. That if you'll get these five things down, You'll be 90% ahead of the rest of the Christian path. If you'll get just these five. Now there, there's more. I will assure you there's more. But just these five will get you a long way down the road. Number one. You've got to become now diligent in the word of God. Diligent in the word of God. The Bible tells us several things about itself. It says that it's a lamp. It says that the word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you're not sure where you're walking or how you should be walking or, or anything with regards to where you need to go and how you need to get there, the word of God is your starting place. The Bible says concerning itself, it says that the word is food. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so the word of God strengthens you. And it sustains you and it gives you your nourishment that you need in order to make good decisions, to point yourself in a good direction. It brings to you counsel. It brings to you healing. It brings to you direction. It will bring to you truth. It says concerning itself that the word actually will cleanse your mind. If you will read the word, there will actually be a rewiring that will begin to take place in your mind. It will begin to cleanse your mind from what the world says and from what other people say in your life. We hear things from the world on such a consistent basis that it becomes the way we look at things. And that has to be cleansed. And, and you can't walk with divine favor if you're walking under the precepts of the world. You can't walk in divine favor unless the Word of God has cleansed your mind. And so you're not going to make it wrong if you're not reading it, if you're not hearing it, if you're not studying it, and you're not memorizing it. It says in, in Psalms, people believe David was the one that wrote it. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know how you keep yourself from sinning? You get the word inside your system. The Bible is your owner's manual for life. 
It's your owner's manual. Now, I know what many people do with their automobile owner's manual. They get that owner's manual when the uh, sales representative gives it to you. He hands it to you along with your keys, and you did like I did. You jumped in the car, you opened up the glove box, you threw it in there, slapped it up, and you haven't seen it again. In fact, I had to pull my owner's manual out the other day, and the pages were still sticking together. And the only reason I pulled it out was because I had some brake lights that were out. But you know, you, you need a brake light. Because if you don't get your brake light fixed, one of these days, a city cop or a Charleston policeman, uh, a county policeman will come by, or a highway patrolman, and they're going to write you a ticket. And it's going to cost me bucks. So, so that $1.25 brake light now is cheaper than the $250 ticket that the highway patrolman's fixing to give me. But I don't know how to change the light bulb. What do I do? I'm just going to lay hands. Hallelujah, Lord, the light bulb. Come on. Come on. No. you got to get your owner's manual out. How do I change the light bulb? you got to get it out of your glove box. Come on, you got to get it off your coffee table. you got to get it out from the drawer. You just can't pull it out every other week or something to start looking in. You can't open it up just when the light goes out. It's really good to read the owner's manual. You need to know it. And if you'll be diligent in the Word of God, that's a great place to start. Number two, you've got to learn to put on your spiritual armor. If you've been free from the enemy, then one of the things God gives to us is spiritual armor. Now, I'm not going to read all of the Ephesians 6 passage, but in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, Paul tells us that we literally have been given armament that we can put on in order that we can go out and face the issues of Satan, the world, and anything else that comes our direction. We literally have spiritual armament that we can get dressed in every day. And the reason for some, especially those of you that are on the front end of some of these things, you literally need to dress daily. Dress daily. Because the enemy is relentlessly pursuing you, and so it would be wise for you maybe to read that Ephesians 6 passage and begin to put that armor on. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Hold up the shield of faith. Put your, 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 your shoes on, which are, are the gospel of peace. Raise the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Lord wants you to succeed, and so He provides the spiritual armor that, that will help you succeed. But you have to put it on. You know, there comes a moment when you look at your children, and you don't dress them anymore. In fact, there comes a moment for a lot of children, they don't want you to dress them anymore. And I'm telling you, there are some of us now that the Lord's saying, I don't want to dress you anymore. It is time you dress yourself. It is time you got up and you put it on and realize that as you're walking into different situations in your life, if you've got a tough time at work, then get the armor on before you go to work. If you're going to school and it's difficult for you to live for Christ at school, then you need to get up in the morning and when you're putting on your clothes, you need to be dressed in spiritual armor to go to school. Some of us, and we're reaching that time of year where we'll be going somewhere over the holidays with extended family. Dear God, put your armor on. You need to be prepared. 
say people are the problem, and we've often said this, people really are not the problem as much as the stronghold or the spirit that is operating in those people that is causing us the problem. And so you've got to realize, you've got to get that stuff on so you can face the enemies and put on your spiritual armor. That's two things you can do. And I'm, I'm telling you, you're up to about 50% status right now. Far more than most Christians. Number three, you've got to begin to recognize the power of your flesh. Now, Encounter Weekend, we did not deliver you from your flesh. I wish I'd be at that seminar. <laughs> I'm going, I'm signing up. We mentioned this to the folks that were here this weekend. I'll mention it to everyone. Listen, you cannot deliver a person from a character defect. You can't do it. You can't deliver a person from their flesh or a character defect. You're always going to have a carnal nature. And you're always going to have uh, uh, issues of character that will continually have to be refined. And you're not going to get delivered from that. You're going to have to begin to do some things that will crucify and, be, and begin to knock the power of that out. So, so praise God the devil's gone. But that doesn't leave you at a place where you can just relax. So I tell people, you can't deliver people from a character defect and you can't counsel out the demon. Sometimes folks want counseling. No, you need deliverance. We can counsel you till Jesus comes again, and it really isn't going to fix you. You've got, you've got a devil, it needs to go. But at the same time, if you've got character issues, we can't cast that out of you. So we've got to begin to understand the arenas that things are working in. Encounter is designed to bring deliverance from the enemy. But you've got to realize your flesh, your selfish desires. Your carnal nature are still in operation in your life, and that gets you in as much trouble as the devil can. You'll have to begin to do things that will crucify that nature in you. You'll have to break patterns of thinking, habits of acting that you've simply grown accustomed to. Some of you have done some things for so long that you can't imagine not doing it that way anymore. That's what a stronghold really is. A stronghold is a pattern of thought or a pattern of thinking that you have done for so long with, with, with not even thinking about it. You've just done it, done it, done it, done it, done it to where I have listened to people say to me, but pastor, that's just me. That's just who I am. And it's not. It's not your personality. It's not anything to do with that. It's that stronghold or that pattern that you've developed that you've got to begin to break. I've listened to people say, I'm just not a morning person. It's hard for me to get up. It's hard for me to get to this or get to that. Hey, that's not a devil. That's not your personality. That's your flesh. That has to be crucified. You know how you crucify the flesh? I, I, you, you can actually crucify that issue at heart. By the water. Isn't that spiritual? Yes, it takes energy on your part. But God is able to empower you. That's what grace is all about. The empowering work of God to, to bring you to the place of willingness to do that. You know what? The Lord, hear me, the Lord is not FEMA. You know how we are these days. Catastrophe strikes. Where's FEMA? FEMA must come. We must call FEMA. Give us our our thousand dollar visa cards. Give us everything we need. Do it all for us. You know what? Here's the good news. God is smarter than FEMA. He 
enables you by His grace and with that freedom to get up and if FEMA doesn't show up, dig yourself out. There is no spiritual FEMA that's coming. You gotta dig, you gotta work, you gotta cleanse. I mean, you got you got some things you got to do in order to press forward. So you gotta recognize the power of your flesh. Number four, you gotta be in the house of God. Now I'm telling you, we're, we're three things. This is the fourth thing. Be in the house of God. Now, hear me. I want you to hear me real carefully here. I do not believe. I do not believe that attending church makes you a Christian. Any more than me sleeping in a garage makes me a car. But at the same time, having said that, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. And I want to read something to you, which is really interesting. I've never seen this before. Just this week I was going back over this. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. 24, it says this, and let us consider one another. So let's consider one another, each other, in order to stir up love and good works. So in other words, let's consider each other so we can exhort each other to press on. Verse 25, he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So how do we do that? Well, when we assemble together, it's a great opportunity to do that, isn't it? But he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. So apparently in those days, they had folks that couldn't get up on time. I guess they didn't have a target. They didn't know one. But exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I've always read that and kind of stopped right there. But then it says this in verse 26. Now, you, were, you know that when, they, when the Bible was inspired and these things were written, they didn't have chapter and verses and all those kinds of things. I mean, it was just a letter that was written. And so if you took out all the verses and the chapter divisions and you just kind of made it into a letter, he instantly says this, For if we sin willfully. Isn't that amazing that he puts that phrase right after not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. For if we sin willfully. See, church attendance, listen to me, church attendance isn't going to save you. Jesus saves you. Jesus is the one. That, that redeems you. It's His blood that redeems you. Coming to church and worshiping God will not save you. But our problem has been, as is most of our problems, is we presume on everything. We walk around and say, well, yeah, I'm born again, I'm saved. And, and I believe Jesus saves me, so I'm a Christian. And, and then we presume on it. You see, our lack of faithful, hear me now, our lack of faithful for some people has become sin. I understand that we're in the Baptist Bible Belt and we're in the conservative South and, and everybody's saved in the South. I get it. Believe me, I get it. I'm looking at you and saying that unfaithfulness will not get you spiritually where you want to be. If you don't stay in the hunt, if you don't stay in the house of God, I will assure you, as sure as I'm standing here, if you want to bet your savings, uh, we, we won't gamble, but I get your money. Because you can't cut the house of God and think somehow you're going to be spiritually where you need to be. I'll say this, there is a hundred percent, so far as I know, success rate for those who will process through a discipleship church. I mean, I mean, really, if you stay in the hunt, if you're in the house of God, if you want to be at a connect group, if you go to vision classes, 
If you want to be in the house of the Lord, I mean, it's amazing to me. I rarely counsel people who are faithful. I rarely. Just, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's a rare thing. So, so you know, no condemnation. I'm just simply saying we've got to get to the place where you know what? I've got some things I've got to implement in my life. I've got to do the work in order for this to take place. Then finally, number five. Now you see, right now you do one, two, three, four. You're up to probably about eighty percent. Number five is develop the disciplines needed for longevity. You've got to begin to develop a prayer life. If you don't pray, you're asking for problems. You say, well, I don't know how to pray. Go to Connect Room. They will not only pray for you, they will begin to model how to pray. Come to Journey Class. If you go to Journey Class, we'll eventually talk about praying in Journey Class or in Discovery Class. Begin to see how others do it. Begin to learn how you can do this. There are ways that this can happen. When you come into the house of God, begin to enter into praise and worship and develop the discipline of praising God with your whole heart, your whole body, and everything that's in you. Begin to develop that discipline. I think, because it was mentioned to me again this morning, and, and I'm going to consider that because I've not stopped it. We just kind of stopped doing it. But you know what? We used to come down to the wells of the church and we would worship God, would we not, in the wells of the church? And, and there were some people that said, I don't get that. I had several people that came and I don't even understand why you do that. Well, I don't understand how you can sit there on your hands and not worship God. I mean, there comes a moment when we develop a discipline. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you aren't a Christian. We aren't loving you. That you aren't there for whatever reason. I'm just simply saying, don't despise those that worship God. It was David's wife sat in a window watching David praise God down his underwear. I mean, David's just praising God like crazy. This king and, and his wife in a window said, oh my, how has the king distinguished himself today? And it's just the same. It's the same spirit that others give when they look at people praising. Oh, I think that's so unnecessary. So what? So what? And you know what David's response was? David's response was, well, keep watching, baby, because the king's going to distinguish himself even more. <laughs> you don't like one head, I'll give you the same You don't like the short little bounce? I'll give you that. <laughs> Say, I feel weird. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing about weird is weird is relative. First time I went to some college football games, I felt weird. There's all kinds of things I feel weird about. You just press through, you press through to have the victory. You gotta begin to develop the disciplines. I remember the first time I had to lift up one hand, and I'm going, oh God, I feel weird. And then I lifted up the second hand, and I thought, oh God. And then the Lord starts saying, you need to. Now, I, I understand, folks. Don't, don't misunderstand me. What I'm clipping off is you want victory, then you're going to have to participate in your victory. You see, we've got no disciplines in our age. We don't want to step into anything that's outside of our comfort zones. We don't want to do anything that makes our image look less than what we want it to look like. And we're going to have to learn that it's not, not I who live anymore, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave me. discipline itself again. There's no discipline in our age. There's 
no financial discipline. We have the greatest debt ever, and we're throwing billions of dollars away again. There's no moral discipline in our country. There's no educational discipline. We've got kids dropping out, or if they graduate, they can't read. We've got no spiritual discipline. We, we want to be entertained instead of being taught and instructed and exhorted to press on to victory. We are becoming, hear me people, we are becoming what Voltaire said years ago. He said, was the Holy Roman Empire. Of course, we are no longer holy, nor Roman, nor an empire. And in America, we are not holy. We are no longer an empire because we are losing our superpower status because we refuse to acknowledge God and serve Him and love Him and acknowledge Him. And we are quickly no longer being American. We are being overrun in this country because we are lawless. I love everybody. I want, I want the masses to come to America. But I'm here to tell you all the indicators are we are becoming just like the Holy Roman Empire and it fell. And it's time that we as the people of God shook out of it and we got back on course. You, I'm talking to you right now in this room. You are the hope of your workplace. You are the hope of your school. You are the hope of your neighborhood. You are the hope of your family. You are the hope. If you don't get this, it ain't coming any other way. You've got to get a hold of this. And God, God is looking for a people who will carve out the path and lead the way. I'm going to end with this and I'm done. I actually did pretty good. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 43, verse 43 and 45. This is a pretty serious passage. Matthew 12, 43 and 45. Listen to this. Jesus is in red. It's Jesus. He says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, this encounter weekend, there were people that were delivered from unclean spirits. Is that not true? Some of you have been to encounter weekend. It happened to you. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, meaning the spirit, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Actually, that's pretty good, isn't it? I want to be free. I want to be empty. I want to be empty of pride. I want to be empty of bondage. I want to be empty of lust. I want to be empty. I want to be empty of all that negative, trashy stuff. So that's good. That, that devil comes back and says, hey, look at this guy. He's empty. It's empty. It's swept. Life's put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. What Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying there's more than enough power to set you free. But he says if you get set free, cleaned out, swept out, but you aren't continually filled up, if that space isn't continually monitored and filled with his presence, what's going to happen is something's going to fill it up. And in all likelihood, it's not going to be good. He says, in fact, what happens, and you can watch people. I've watched it for years. You watch people. I've seen people with a legitimate born-again experience, a legitimate deliverance experience who get started so well. And they're walking the road. And they're, and they're started out really, really good. But then, for whatever reason, 
They turn back. For whatever reason, they quit running the course. For whatever reason, they quit doing what they know to do that's right. For whatever reason, they lose their faithfulness. For whatever reason, they aren't going through their disciplines and their processes. And I've watched this happen through the years. And, and not to be overly dramatic, but I can almost tell you, without exception, what begins to happen in their life is seven times what Jesus said, worse than the place they were in originally. I could bring people probably to the platform this morning that are in this place right now who you yourselves have gone through this very thing. You got started and for whatever reason you turned back or you, or you left it behind or you let it go for whatever reason and you know what happened to your life and you said I'm worse than I was when I was here before and now I'm starting even further back. Now praise God we can still drive the seven that came in out again. But you know all too well that where you are now is a lot worse than where you were to, to begin with. And I'm just simply saying to you that I could give you people right now that would look at you and beg you and say, don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. Go through the journey. Go through the process. Go through the discipline. Second Peter, it's, it's it's a vivid way that 2 Peter says it here. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. He said, For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. And the sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Is that pretty vivid? I mean, I think that's pretty big. He says, if, if, if you're starting out and you decide, I, I don't, I, it ain't going to happen. I ain't going to do it. He says, it's like a proverb. It's as if, and not to be indelicate, the animal goes back. And he munches on his own palm. That's sick. The Hebrew writer said, but I believe much better things for you. Much better I am begging you. If I could do it for you, I would, but I can't. I am begging you. Be diligent. Keep yourself in the light of God's grace and power. He wants you to prevail. Do you want to prevail? Do you really want victory? Do you really, really want life to be different? Well, the good news is it can happen, and it has happened, and it is happening to so many, many people. I'm just saying, I'm one. I'm one. Are you one? Yes. Come on, are you one? Are you, are you one? Yes. I want you to be one. I want you to be one. But we've got to walk out our dream. Stand with me, will you please? I'm going to pray right now. This is what I'm going to ask. Real quickly. Real quick. I want you to do this right now. If you're feeling spiritually shaky, if you feel like you're, you're weary, if you feel like you're on the brink of collapse, you're on the edge of turning back. You would be honest enough to say, you know what? I, I, am, I am at a place that I, I've got to get a shot of, of something inside of me so I can rise up and get on with what I need to be getting on with. I'm going to pray this morning for strength. I'm going to pray this morning for tenaciousness and resiliency. And I'm going to pray this morning for people who would be willing to say, you know what? I, I, I'm at the place where I need, I need empowering grace. I don't need a grace that excuses me. I need a grace that empowers me.
something that's going to spiritually get me up and get me going again. Because I, I don't want to go back. I am not going to turn around. I, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And I'll just say that, that, that those that I'm praying with, if you are one of those right now that would say, I have turned back, I want you to come with them as well. I want you just to come along with them and say, you know what, Pastor, you're right. I've turned around and my life is just like if I just throw up all over the place. I'm done with that. I am done with sitting at that table. I'm ready to get going. If that's you, I need you to come too. But you should be able to do that in about five seconds. To step out and come to the wells of the church. We're going to pray for that. So if that's you right now, I want you just to slip out. I need that right now. I need that right now. I need that to happen in my life right now. See, it's okay. Don't feel bad. You're just, you're just honest enough to say, I need, I need another just kind of shot in the arm. I need that. I need that. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. I'm not turning back. I'm going for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not turning back. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Yeah, as long as you keep coming, I'll wait for this is This is the most important thing we do. It's not only inviting people to Jesus Christ. It's inviting people to stay on the journey. To stay on track. I was listening this morning to a minister talk about broad is the way, easy is the way that leads to destruction, narrow the way, straight is the gate that leads to eternal life. You've got to be a hearty individual to stay on the path of righteousness. And you can do it. You can do this in Jesus' name. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Congregation, are we there? Amen? Yeah. Come on, we're, we're going to stay in the hunt. These people, look at right now, I want all of you to look. And these people right now have been honest enough and courageous enough to say, you know what, I, I, I need, I need to just be resilient and tenacious. And our job all through the week is to help in any way we can. When we gather on Sundays to look people in the eye and say, you're going to make it, it's going to be okay. You can do it. You've got people that will pray for you and support you. These people have a responsibility, but we all do too. To pray and to exhort. And so you know some of these are family members, some of these are friends. Some of these are folks you know. And you know what, it doesn't take much to look at someone about Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week. Call them up and just say, man, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. And I just want you to be encouraged. You've got other people on track with you. Come on, it's not just a pastor's job to do that with the people. It's not just Pastor Noah's job to do it with the young people. It's not just Trace's job or Tyler's job or the connect leader's jobs. It's not just their job. We are the body, are we not? Come on, we have got to pull for other members of the body. Let me tell you, if the finger is hurt, everything hurts. And that means maybe maybe when the finger hurts, it's, it's like, you know, sometimes you go. But sometimes you go. So maybe the head didn't get it, but the other hand did. And maybe you're the other hand that's helping that hand. Are you hearing me? Come on, we've got, we've got, Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. I'm going to be at the finish line. I have decided I am going to be at the finish line. I may not get started as fast as everyone else. I may not run as fast as everyone else. But I can get to the finish line. We may never have a thousand. 
I don't know, maybe God will grant us thousands of people. But however many people that God grants under this ministry, we're going to do our best to get into the finish line. I'm glad for the churches that get people started, but there's got to be a ministry that gets people to the finish line. Let's pray. Extend your hands toward these who have gathered. Everybody together, I want you just to pray with me. Say, in Jesus' name. Lord, I confess. There are moments of weariness. I confess. There are times I feel. I can't take another step. But Lord, I acknowledge. There is enough in you. More than enough. To empower me. To arise. To turn. To walk. And journey. With you, oh God. I received this morning. Not only the exhortation. But I received. From your presence. Fresh power. That will enable me. To successfully walk this Christian journey. I'm beginning to realize I have a responsibility before you and before a world that needs answers and needs solutions. Empower me, oh God, to arise and put into motion the things I must do to design success. I'm committing to you that today it's done. I'm walking. I'm moving. I'm cutting my ties from the past. I'm taking off the rearview mirror. My eyes are set. My gate is straight. My pace is even. And I declare.
You're rooting and cheering them on. You know, the Bible says, so great a cloud of witnesses. There are witnesses in a stadium right now looking upon us in this place. And they are literally cheering their brains out. Cheering for you to finish the race. Lord, let that sound of that so great a cloud of witnesses ring constantly in our ears as we arise from this place and go out those doors and run the race. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't know and tell them how much God cares.